Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 1. That's where we are today, Matthew chapter 1, as we begin an Advent series called Christmas Dreams. Here's the key concept today. God will push you past your comfort zone, but that's a good thing. He'll push you past your comfort zone. Matthew chapter 1. We're talking about Christmas dreams, but these dreams are not sugar plum fairy Christmas dreams. We're looking at the five dreams that are recorded by Matthew as a part of the larger Christian story, the story of Christ's coming to earth. We're going to look at these dreams over the next few weeks and notice that all of these dreams had specific responses that were called for. In each of these dreams, something was left for the person who received the dream to do. For instance, Joseph is led to marry Mary in a dream. The Magi are led to avoid Herod in a dream. Joseph is again led to take the family to Egypt and escape in a dream. And then another dream prompts him to return the family to Israel, and yet another dream to move specifically to Nazareth and not Bethlehem where he had previously set up shop. In each dream, the specific leading is there, the guiding is there, and it comes from the Lord. So we need to ask ourselves the question, does God still give us leading and guiding in dreams? Does He do that? I mean, it's obvious in the Bible that He does that. There are 116 references to dreams in the Old Testament alone. One author says this, if you added up all the dreams where God was communicating to people in the Bible and then the actions taken as a result of those dreams, it covers about one-third of the text of the Scripture. So obviously, God can lead and speak to us through dreams. So does it still happen? And the answer is, it can, because part of the job description of being God is you can do whatever you want. And if He wants to have, have, communicate to us through dreams, He can. But it happens probably less today, simply because we have the Word of God giving us guidance we have the Holy Spirit residing within, and so we get the kind of leading that might have come in another way through these means. But still, we dream. And dreams are interesting, aren't they? Do you dream? I mean, scientists say we all dream, and we dream all the time, but for most of us, we cannot remember our dreams. Now, maybe you're an exception to that. Maybe you remember your dreams very well. I tend to remember my dreams as a snapshot, like a slide. You know, I don't know what the rest of the story is, but I remember that slide from the dream. But some of you probably can remember with exquisite detail all of your dreams, and you love telling about it, right? I have, I mentioned this before, I have had over the last 20 years, I have had a series of dreams vivid dreams that I can remember well enough to write down in my journal. And I do. And I call these, these dreams my not-ready-to-preach dreams. <laughs> but I've never had a not-ready-to-preach dream where the setting was our sanctuary here at Quail. But over the last 20 years is when I've had these dreams. And, and in the dream, there will be some reason when, when I'm supposed to preach, I am not ready or I am barred from, from getting there or something like that. One, one dream was I was kind of backstage in this church building, this old church, and they had this uh, hallway behind the platform filled with junk, old props and file cabinets and desks and upright piano. And the guy was introducing me on the platform, and I couldn't find the door in to the platform. 
Okay, that's one of them. Another one was, and many of you people are in these dreams, by the way. Another, another one, yeah, you know, the faces. Another one where we were in a, a, a church. It was a dark wood church, and I was sitting in the congregation and being introduced as the speaker, and I tr- tried to get on the stage, but the platform was real high, and there was no steps. So I was trying to climb up onto the steps with all the dignity I could muster, not ready to preach. One of the dreams, uh, uh, I, I got into the hall, was ready to preach, I forgot my Bible. So as I opened the door to go get my Bible, all of a sudden I was in a field. I ran across the field, and I ran into the building of the church that we pastored in Rochester, New York. All right, so I knew where my office was. My Bible was probably there. I go to my office. There's people in my office who won't let me in. My, my latest dream, just a few weeks ago, I had a dream where it looked like everything was working out. I was on the platform. People were in their seats. I was opening my Bible to preach. But instead of notes, I had newspaper clippings and magazine clippings with no idea how they go together or what I was supposed to say. So is God communicating to me through these dreams? Certainly He is. He's saying, Sunday comes every week, you got to be ready to preach, (laughs) right? He communicates indirectly or directly, but in the dreams that we'll see here, God is giving very specific, very time-sensitive, very vital direction to the dreamer. So let's pick up the reading. I hope you have your Bible open. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 is where we will start. It says this, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what, she, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. I'd like you to put yourself in the place of Joseph for a moment. Joseph hears that this woman he loves, this woman he's engaged to be married to, they're already making plans. He hears that she's expecting a baby. And what, what would you assume? You assume she's been unfaithful. And you can imagine his emotions about that and how he's anguishing over that. I mean, we have to understand the process here because the, the, the Jewish marriage process in this first century was a three-step process, and it began with engagement when the couple were considered to be engaged. And this would happen when they were actually probably still children because the families would arrange the engagement. These were arranged marriages, okay? There were no dating apps. Nobody slid one way or the other way. It was the family worked on it. And it was a loving arrangement done out of love, wanting the best for the children as they grew up. And so the families would make that arrangement. That was step one, engagement. Step two is betrothal. Now, betrothal was when the couple publicly ratified the fact that they said yes to that engagement. This happened usually in the teenage years, and there would be a public ceremony that goes with the betrothal. The man and the woman, the young man and the young woman are saying yes to each other. We intend to marry. 
a public ceremony, and, the, and it's just as important as the marriage ceremony, and the betrothal period would take place for, you know, that would be about a year long. And during the year, the couple would not live together. Uh, they would not have sexual relations, but they were com considered committed, considered husband and wife. And that's why in verse 19, uh, Joseph is referred to as Mary's husband, even though the last step hasn't taken place yet. And that last step was the actual wedding, the marriage ceremony. At the end of the period of the betrothal, the couple would have another ceremony, a wedding, and a wedding feast in this culture might last a week. People would come from far and wide and stay and feast and have all kinds of, you know, time together. And during that wedding feast week, the couple would consummate the marriage sexually. That was, that was the conclusion of the whole process, and they are now married husband and wife. Now, at the beginning of the Christmas events, Mary and Joseph are in step two. They are betrothed. They have said to the public and to themselves, we say yes to the engagement that our families have worked out, and we are looking forward to be married together. And during this period of time, they were re relating to one another in a sexually pure way. He was treating her with respect and honor. He's a righteous man, it says. And that is what it is when you abstain from sex outside of the, sex, uh, outside of the marriage covenant. You are demonstrating respect and honor. It is saying, I respect you and your purity more than my own desires. Now, our society doesn't get that. Our society laughs at that. They've reduced uh, sex to just the, the animal and the physical. They, they care nothing for patience in terms of demonstrating my, my respect for this person. But, but sex is much more than just the animal and the physical. Sex is the pinnacle of a union between a husband and a wife demonstrating their intimacy. And they, Joseph and Mary are pure towards one another. They demonstrate to us purity is possible. We need to hear that. Purity is possible. Paul Harvey used to tell the story about a female flight attendant and the fact that on this particular flight, there were two men on the flight, one in the uh, front and one in the back. Both of them were kind of hitting on her, kind of getting a little handsy. Both of them were drinking too much, acting inappropriately. And this went on throughout the entire flight. And finally, you know, as the flight went on, the man in the front of the, of the plane, uh, kind of in a drunken way, kind of slipped the key to his hotel with the name of the hotel printed on it and, and said, this is the key to my hotel room, I'll see you tonight, slipped it into the, the, um, into the uh, pocket on her apron. She didn't say anything to the guy, okay, you know, whatever. So, and as she went down, did the rest of the, the plane, she got all the way to the back when the guy in the back was like kind of the same thing. She's she going, where are you staying? Where can I find you? You know, I'm, I'm going to come, come find you this evening. And all of a sudden, she got inspired. <laughs> and she slipped that guy the other man's key and said, I'll see you at eight. Don't be late. <laughs> and I never heard the rest of that story. But all I'm saying is purity is possible. It takes some strategy sometimes, but purity is possible. And Joseph and Mary had remained pure because he loved her and he, she loved him. And now as he hears this news, he, he's offended and his heart is broken. 
because he's a righteous man. What that means is he realizes he ought not to marry her. He feels that she has violated the covenant, their betrothal. He's a righteous man. But he's scared also because he knows that if he were to go ahead and marry Mary, in the eyes of the community around him, this would be an admission that he really was the father. So much for his reputation as a righteous man. And he's a man in love. He thinks of Mary. He sees her through eyes of love. He realizes that if he divorces her publicly, which would need to, be happen, would need to happen if the betrothal was broken, just like you had a public betrothal ceremony, you, you had a public divorce. And if he was going to do that, that, that she would have the brunt of all the scorn of the community, her reputation and possibly even her life would be lost because the ultimate law was she would be stoned. And so Joseph comes up with middle ground. He comes up with a human compromise solution. I'll just get a quickie divorce, we'll end the betrothal, and I'll move past this, put this in the rearview mirror. But of course it was causing him heartache to think about that. And I want you to reflect with me that sometimes the very best plans that people can come up with are poor choices. Sometimes the very best plans that you can develop will still be dim reflections of the gracious activity of God. God had something wonderful in mind, but that wonderful thing still was going to come through Joseph's pain. But then he had a dream. Let's read on. Verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, we've heard that paragraph so many times. We read it every year. We can recite it by memory. This is familiar territory, so familiar maybe that you move past real quick. But I want you to pause on the words, in a dream. In a dream. How many dreams have you had? And when you woke up, you said to yourself, bah, it was just a dream. How easy would it be for Joseph to say, this was nothing more than a dream. Nothing I have to pay attention to. Maybe a story that I'll talk about around the coffee pot in the carpenter shop tomorrow. You know, you should have seen this dream I had last night, right? But Joseph saw that there was more to this than just the ordinary run-of-the-mill dream. He is willing to live the rest of his life based on this dream and get out of his comfort zone and selflessly love Mary. And here's the result, verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. You know, you wonder, how did Joseph explain this quickie marriage? How did he explain abruptly marrying Mary in that way? Now, there may have been some close friends that he could tell the whole story to. You know, the, the angel came to me in a dream. And maybe those close friends would have believed him. Maybe. But for most people, he didn't have the ability to explain all the details. For most, they would never know all that he's been through. He couldn't wear a sign around the town that said, an angel told me to do it. 
Joseph understood something. If you take Mary back and you marry her in this situation, there would be many who would assume you're the father. They would do the math. Let me see. Home. When did you get married? How many months? They would assume that they had sinned morally. He would be labeled, and the label would be the filter through which people would see him. The gossip would go around. The bad news would travel. Bad news travels faster than good news and goes farther. And he's not going to be able to outrun that or stop that. He is saying yes to that. And he saw that his reputation would simply be in God's hands. But he also understood that Mary's reputation was in in his hands. Because if he did divorce her, if he did push her aside, then she would face all of that by herself. I think it takes courage to walk the road of criticism knowing you're not going to be able to protect yourself. Yet out of love, that's the journey you take. And so he married her. But there's more to the dream, isn't there? There's more to the dream. It isn't the angel just didn't say marry her. The angel said why you should marry her. First of all, she is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. This is a miraculous thing, Joseph. She didn't cheat on you. Your assumptions are wrong. Second reason is he will save his people from their sins. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And now Matthew adds this commentary. He says, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Why should you do this, Joseph? Because God is in this. Why should you do this? God is doing something. God is fulfilling prophecy right here, right now. And Joseph, you and Mary are part of the action. That's why you should do this. And Joseph surrenders to that. And he's humble enough to forego the honor of choosing the name for his son. He didn't get to choose it. You know, he may have had Joseph Jr. in mind, but there would be no Joseph Jr. You are to give him the name Yeshua. In Greek, it's Jesus, the form of Joshua. The name means the Lord shall save. And the angel explains this. The name fits because this child will save his people from their sins. I want you to see the pregnancy is fulfilling a 700-year-old prophecy. And the name itself is a prophecy. He will save his people from their sins. The angel is saying, Joseph, the deepest trouble of your time is not poverty. The deepest trouble of your time is not scarcity. It's not inequality. It's not the yoke of the Roman law. The deepest problem of your time is sin. And that's what this child will save his people from, sin. This name, Yeshua, launches him into this mission. And so they married. But when you read on, you read that they did not consummate the marriage until after Jesus was born. It doesn't mean that they never had sex. The Bible doesn't teach that. But it means that they waited until after Jesus was born. And this, by the way, is why when you go over to Luke and you read Luke's account of the Christmas story, Luke refers to Mary as Joseph's betrothed wife. 
because he understands that the last little part of that three-stage process, that hasn't taken place yet. So in the eyes of the Jewish custom, they're still betrothed, even though they've had a wedding. See, Mary was not an unwed mother, like we hear about sometimes. So based on all of this and the dream that Joseph has, he selflessly does what's necessary. So what are the principles we pull out of this? Number one, abandoning your old dream makes it possible to embrace a new dream. And I'm using the word there like hope or aspiration. Joseph had hopes. He had aspirations. And when the angel came down and told him about the new dream in the dream, he didn't argue for the old. He didn't say, listen, I got a five-year plan. This is not in it, by the way. He did not object. He saw a different future. He said yes to a different aspiration, better and bigger than Joseph could possibly have imagined. And I bring that up because maybe you've had your dreams dashed or your hopes smashed. Let go of the old dream so that God can give you a new dream. Prayerfully seek what's next from God and be humble and ready to say yes to it. And it, mean, it might be a calling that you had never imagined, but you'll never get there if you cling to the old dream. God's dreams are bigger and better. Secondly, God prizes your humble surrender to Him more than He prizes a comfortable life for you. This is beyond what Joseph could have imagined. It's the hope of every Jewish family. We will cradle the Messiah, but it's not going to be an easy life. They will face hardship and ridicule, a trouble-free life, a life of ease, a life of comfort, a life that makes no waves, rocks no boats. That's a life that is not doing anything or going anywhere. When you surrender to the will of God, what you get is transformation. Be transformed by God. When you say yes to God, in the pathway that He will lead you there, it won't be easy, but you will find meaning and you will find truth. That's what Joseph finds. And thirdly, and I love this one, God is always doing more than just one thing. God is solving Joseph's anguish. He's redirecting Mary's life. He's res rescuing their relationship that was on the rocks, and he is fulfilling a 700-year-old prophecy all at once. Isaiah 7:14, the virgin will be with child and will call, give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. God was fulfilling this prophecy in the midst of everything else he was doing. In your life, God is doing more than just one thing. God is the ultimate multitasker. See, here's, you may see your new boss as only a maniac, but God sees that down the road, yours is the only voice that will be able to witness to him. God might have moved that family into your neighborhood. They seem to have a broken down car for every member of the household, and they're all in the front yard. But God is providing housing for them and a place where you can put love in action. You may be burdened in prayer over the fact that there's tension in your family, even as the holidays are here. There's that one person who always says the wrong thing at the wrong time, always out of order. Really, you're going to bring that up now? But what else is God doing? Because He's always doing more than one thing. Our prayer efforts need to turn to patience because only as you look back over the course of your life do you see the multi-level at which God was working.
Some facts are seen, some facts are unseen, and some facts are yet to be known. But God is always working on many levels. But when God's dream for us becomes our life reality, we will be changed for the better. So, say yes to God's dreams for your life. They will take you past your comfort zone. But that is good. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Joseph. We don't often talk about him, but he gives us a model of a person who is willing to surrender, who is willing to demonstrate his love for You, his willingness to simply serve You. And Lord, we pray that we would be those kinds of people as, as well. Show us the way You have for us and give us the courage to follow after You, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.